What's up, my friends? Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 202. And uh, we have a good episode today. Before we talk about it, we have some new listeners. Uh, I've noticed an uptick in things lately. Usually, every episode has about the same number of downloads, and that has gone up over the last few months, which is a good thing. Uh, But that tells me that, hey, maybe we need to uh, pause for just a moment to kind of let people know uh, what this is (laughs) and what's going on here. Uh, The What If Project, we explore the question, what if? What if there are ways of thinking about God and faith and spirituality and the Bible and heaven and hell and angels and demons and all the things, whatever it is, everything, what if, there, what if there's ways of thinking about those things that are different than the ways our traditions have handed us? And so if you're somebody who comes from a, let's say, evangelical background, where you're told there's one way to understand things, and that's it. That's, that's the, the place I came from. There's a lot of different ways. The reality is there's a lots of different ways to think about the things that you and I were told there's only one way to think about them. And so this podcast explores all of that stuff uh, with the various guests and it's been it's been a blast. So we are on episode number 202. Uh, welcome and today we're talking to a brand new friend. Uh, his name is Pastor Josh Scott. Uh, Josh pastors a church in Nashville, Tennessee called Grace Point Church and it's a very progressive thinking church, uh, very diverse, lots of different people there, lots of different thoughts. Uh, there are some of our listeners actually go to that church. So hello to all of you and thank you because I had, I think like two, I think two people reached out to me and said, you've got to get our pastor on your podcast because he would make a really great guest. And so I started in listening to some of his sermons, uh, followed him on Facebook, uh, commented on a few things. I'm like, yeah, it feels like he would fit here <laughs> really well. And he did. We had a really good conversation. We talked about the church. Uh, we talked about uh, like empire, like the marriage of church and empire together, and some of the problems that it ha- that has caused. Uh, we talk about deconstruction. We talk about uh, the Bible and parables of Jesus. We talk about all sorts of things and uh, really good conversation. I have more questions though because I wanted to hear more about his church, and because uh, I've heard so many things, I want to I want to kind of hear more stuff, but. I'll have to do a part two of the episode sometime down the road. So I'll put all of Josh's links uh, in the show notes and also uh, links to my my book, uh, my one link to the book. It's on Amazon. It's called Rethinking Everything. Uh, we kind of explore uh, my spiritual journey from this world of black and white fundamentalist thinking to the the world of color that I'm in. We talk about hell. There's like, there's like four different chapters. Hell, uh, we talk about the Bible talk about LGBTQ people, talk about the cross. Then there's like a bonus chapter at the end uh, called A Letter to the God I Used to Believe in, where I kind of write a letter to this evangelical God that I used to believe in, that I no longer believe in. And I was a little bit, I was a little bit firm (laughs) with him in the letter, but it was a lot of fun to write. I've gotten some pretty decent feedback on it. Uh, So head over to Amazon and check it out. Uh, and you will find it there. Search Glenn Siepert book. That seems to be the best way to bring it up. It's available in soft cover, hardcover, and uh, Kindle is coming soon. If you want a signed copy, I can get you a signed copy. 
uh, just email me at whatifproject.net at gmail.com. Uh, you can Venmo me money. I will order a book and mail it to you. And uh, you can have my, 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 my autograph <laughs> in the book if you want that. So anyway, and I'll write a personal note to you um, as well. So anyway, all that to say, my friends, uh, again, this is episode number 202. And it's my conversation with Josh Scott. Enjoy. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Do sunshine and rain. Stressing over everything, losing your brain. Fit back up yourself before you go insane. Levitate on the times that you got the rain. Times are tough, I'm being honest. We can see the light, just remain modest. Uh, can't forget, just a day reminder. Life's a little short, and take off the blinds. Be a little wiser. Build my own future, I'm the pathfinder. CMG is a team with a franchise. Uh, impacted by the worst decisions. Breaking bad habits on the repetition. What you getting to now? Gave too many chances to now. In the back condition, but it's not the ending. Get yourself together, got no time for reminiscing. I just want to solve the live life. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're sitting down with my friend, Pastor Josh Scott, who is the lead pastor of Grace Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where a few of our podcast listeners attend. So shout out to all of you. But Josh, welcome to the show. I've been really looking forward to getting to know you more. Me too. Thanks so much for having me. Definitely. So as someone who used to pastor a church uh, and carries a ton of trauma <laughs> from the experience, I'm really interested to hear uh, some of your, your story. And honestly, that's kind of why I wanted to have you on the show today. Uh, you pastor a very, I would say, progressive thinking church where you tackle lots of really big questions from the pulpits. I've seen sermons across my social media feed about uh, I think misunderstood Bible verses. I saw one the other day about John 14, 6, uh, sermons yeah. about salvation and the cross. I think you addressed the lofty topic of white Christian nationalism at one point. So really big topics. You have a very diverse group of people. Uh, Derek Webb, who's been on the show before, is part of your part of your staff. So I don't know, man, just tell me this story. Let's pretend we're out getting, we're getting coffee and just tell me the story of Josh and a little bit about Grace Point, how you got to be where you are. Sure. Well, so I guess for my story to make a little bit of sense, I I grew up, I was born in the Appalachian region. So I'm from a a Kentucky, West Virginia border town. And I grew up as a a free will Baptist kid for my first 11 or 12 years of life. My grandfather Mm -hmm. was a free will Baptist pastor. Um, And if you, you know, if if you know anything about free will Baptist, so just to say that when my grandfather died, uh, we went to, we moved to the Southern Baptist church and mm. everybody saw that as a liberal move. Um, lets you know a little bit like King James only, um, right. that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, part of my story in ministry really is around like my grandfather, his passing. Mm. So he, he died when I was 11 and he died at a church business meeting. Mm. Um, and he died right after somebody in the business meeting said to him, you're the problem, you should leave. And he had a massive heart attack and, wow. and died. And so, you know, now looking back, I realize what just an unfortunate coincidence all of that was. And of course, he had a bad heart and he had since he was a kid. Mm. And I'm sure the stress of that moment was part of it. But in my mind, it was related to God and it was related to what happens to you when you're a pastor. So when you say, you know, that, you know, you were a pastor and you experienced a lot of trauma around that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think in some ways that, that doing this work that, you pick that up as you go. But I decided then and there, I, you know, I, I wasn't an atheist at 11 years old. I, I still believed in God. I just thought God was kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. 
and so wanted nothing to do with it. I can't imagine why you would think right, that. <laughs> right, like just. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want anything to do with church and mm-hmm. pastoring because, in my mind, you know, at that age, being a pastor, will, the church will kill you. Yeah. Um, and you know, in some ways, that ends up mm-hmm. in, in my experience um, that almost gets borne out, right? Like yeah. being a pastor can be challenging. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, I ended up, we went to the Southern Baptist church. I ended up as I was a really shy kid. Um, I'm an Enneagram seven, but I didn't know it at the time. Apparently mm-hmm. I was a really shy kid, really yeah. introverted. And just, I, I got invited to speak on a Sunday night. There's a youth service. Our pastor was out of town and they were like, mm-hmm. do you want to do this? And I said, yes, because I was also like a, a big people pleaser. Like I, re- I didn't want to disappoint anybody. Yeah. And so I said yes. And then immediately started praying for the stomach virus <laughs> right. um, to get me out of it. Please and make then, me sick. <laughs> <laughs> please, please. <laughs> I've seen what you've done for other people. Do it for me. Do it. And, uh, <laughs> Give me leprosy. <laughs> Anything. <laughs> and then, uh, so I, but that night I ended up giving this 11 minute sermon on John three sixteen. The theology of it was terrible. Uh, but there was something about that moment where I was like, yeah. gosh, I, I don't know what that was, but I need to do that again as soon as possible. And I was 16 years old, 17 years old at the time. And I've been, yeah. I've been at this for 25 years now. Um, of course, I've experienced a lot of change and a lot of theological shifting sure. um, in those 25 years. Yeah. It seems a lot like my, my story. I went to a private Christian school from the fourth through 12th grades. And when I was in the 11th grade, my friend went to a Christian reform church and they were like, his family was super active and they had, I was really interested in the Bible and stuff like that. I was like always reading my Bibles at nerdy, nerdy kid, introverted, like you just said. And I remember the, they said they had a teacher for the fourth grade class that uh, was sick. And so they weren't going to have a teacher for their VBS. And so they were, they said, we need somebody to teach it. And my friend's mom was like, Oh, well, Glenn, knows a lot about the Bible, maybe he would do it. And so they asked me, I'm like, I don't know, I've never taught anything, but I did it. And I was super nervous. And it was terrible. But I I loved it. I had so much fun (laughs) doing it. And I'm like, I want to do more of this, you know, so I did it again the following year. Then I went to Bible college to get a degree in youth ministry. And I went to work with kids and stuff like that. And then I went to seminary and kept on doing things and just started loving things. And before he knew it, I ended up, you know, pastoring. And it was just you know, you have that, you have that itch when you're younger and you, something sparks in you. You're like, Oh, I want to do more of this. And you kind of run with it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, so growing up in, in, a, in different Baptist traditions with no pol- no real like polity or oversight. So the, the, what, what makes you, um, I guess, credible to preach and teach and lead is just that you feel called to, mm. And you're right. So there's no system of like, Hey, maybe we should check this out. Sure. <laughs> yeah. There's an ordination, there's ordination, but that, sure. you know, that happens a little later. Um, and I just, you know, realized that I was, I was doing things and saying things that I had heard and that I felt were really, really problematic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But there was no preparation for that. There was no, like, it wasn't like go to seminary and then do this or like, like take some classes somewhere and then start to talk about things. It was just sort of like, Oh, you, you can hold people's attention decently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll start letting you preach, go for it. And <laughs> in some ways I'm grateful that I got to start because um, you know, uh, I'm 40 and I've been at this for 25 years now. Yeah. So I've had a lot of experience and I'm still relatively young. Yeah. Um, my kids don't think so, but I think so. Right. Um, I'm the same age as you. So we're young. Okay. We're young. We're, young. we're just getting started. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, 
but you know, so there was some benefit to it, but there was also like, you get thrust into this and you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And there are all these expectations people have on you. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the, we start young and the, the trauma starts happening early. Yeah. Um, and the, the, of course, of, you know, and of course we don't know what we're doing. You know, I, we're, I was a kid when I started. Yeah. Um, so there's just, a, there's a lot of, there's, you know, like everything, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of good. And I, I get to start early and learn and make mistakes. And, but then like I'm carrying those wounds <laughs> for a long time too. And what did it, what did that, I mean, I don't know how much detail you want to get into with that, but like what kind of, for listeners, what kind of wounds are you speaking of when it comes to those early days? You know, I mean, for, especially, you know, so the church I was at before Grace Point was, uh, a church. I was there 14 years. Yeah. And it, when I went there, it's a church in a little rural Kentucky town, mm-hmm. a very small town. And if Kentucky's a red state, this town would be like whatever the deepest possible red crimson, you can imagine. Right? Crimson. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but I also went to the church when I took the job, I was 23 and I was in full free fall theologically, mm. you know, uh, whatever language you want to use unraveling deconstruction, like that was happening. Yeah. And so, you know, as I began to start talking about those things, because I was, you know, I was starting to be excited because all these new horizons theologically were opening up and I was mm-hmm. learning things about the history of the Bible and reading people like, you know, Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan. And then, on the, you know, sort of on the, on the more um, pastoral side, like Brian McLaren yeah. and of course, uh, you know, Rob Bell, right. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking all this in and getting so energized by it. And then I start talking about it, just making the assumption that everybody's going to be energized by this. No. And it wasn't the case, yeah. as you might've guessed. Yeah. Uh, I was a little naive. How old were you so, at this point? Um, 24, 25. Okay. Yeah. You know, and so um, as, as things went on, eventually, uh, at one point when I was, I was saying enough, th- I realized at one point I was saying things that people in the room who wanted to hear them through a conservative lens could, mm-hmm. uh, but also people in the room who wanted to hear something more progressive, they could also hear it. Yeah. And I realized at that point when people started like understanding what I was actually saying and they were like, oh, I- I've been listening to you for 10 years and I didn't realize you meant that or I would have left a long time ago. I was like, yeah. okay, this is unfair to people. So I sat down with our leadership and laid all my cards on the table. It's like, if, you know, I'm affirming and here's why Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't believe that God needed Jesus death to somehow make us lovable and acceptable. So, you know, and I just go through sort of like, here's all the things I'm thinking. I'll resign. um, If you want me to, Mm -hmm. if this is not the journey, this community needs to take, but this is my journey and I have to take it. And to their credit to a person, they said, no, we, we think this is our journey. Now, a year later, most of them were gone of those mm-hmm. leaders who said it was at their, you know, our journey. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like one of the most vivid memories and, there, you know, there are lots of little things along the way. But one of the most vivid, vivid memories is, um, you know, my wife and I um, are uh, we're a foster adoptive family. All of our kids came to us through adoption. We were foster parents. Um, and one weekend uh, when we were losing a child who we were hoping to adopt, mm-hmm. um, they were being um, sent back into a rough situation. Um, that same weekend, some of the people in the church I was pastoring at the time decided to hold it. And they were people who had been there a long time, some of the founding members too. <clears throat> they decided to hold a secret meeting oh. about how to get rid of me and take the church back. Mm. Um, and I'll never forget 
know, like they knew what was going on in my life. They just didn't care. Mm. Like they chose that moment when we were kind of wrecked to yeah. do one of the most hurtful things. Wow. Um, so that, you know, that sort of thing happens, right? Like people, people make some, and, and uh, but I also know I hurt people, sure. right? I yeah. hurt people of, uh, you know, there were things they needed from me or expected from me or whatever that, you know, I felt, I failed at times. Yeah, sure. There were people who listened to me preach for a decade or more and thought I meant what they meant. Yeah. And I didn't. And so, uh, you know, there, there's something about being in a relationship with other humans that it's going to be pain. I, I just think that there are ways that we should be able to be civil and more kind and not do that sort of thing. Right. Not the secret yeah. meeting sort of thing. Yeah, I think one of the hardest things for me to come to grips with, and maybe you felt this too, in the last couple of years, especially is there's so many people that I was like really close to in my former tribe who felt like so quickly just kind of disregarded me after I started to talk about my shifting beliefs. And it started to really feel like I started to ask a question in my mind, like, did these people really love me? Or do they just love what I would, what I believed and the things that I was teaching from the pulpit? Because in my last church up in New Jersey, I wasn't part of the staff, but I would preach there once in a while. And I often tell this, this story that there was, I remember I preached this one sermon and it was the last one I preached there. And I remember I was having this internal wrestling match because I was, I was wrestling with things, but I couldn't be vocal about it in that setting at all. Like I just would not have been safe for anybody. <laughs> it just would not have been good. Yeah. So I, I, but I was trying to write this sermon in a way that I could still be true to myself. Like I didn't want to say something I didn't believe, but I didn't want to, I, I don't know. I was really just trying to wrestle it, but I really felt like I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to preach the sermon. So I preached it and it was, it was, it went really well. And like after this, the sermon, people are like posting things on Facebook and they're like, oh, this was so great. And somebody said, like, everything that comes from the mouth of Glenn is from God, which is way, way too, way too much of a compliment for sure. But <laughs> That's I, it's, some pressure. It, right? A little <laughs> bit of pressure. But then the funny thing is, it was literally three months later, I posted something about Brian McLaren because I went to hear him speak somewhere in town. And the same person, like, ripped me apart on Facebook. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what? Like, what is going on? Like, the people who, who really, I thought, genuinely loved me are now like coming against me. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like it just sent me, sent me to this like spiral place where I just asked so many questions about like the nature of relationships. Like what, what really is a relationship? What really is love? What really is a bond? Like what, what, what is going on? So I, I, when you speak about that, that's kind of the trauma that I'm speaking of as well. It's just like, there's just so much baggage from that that I'm still, still trying to unpack. Yeah. It's, I just will never forget the same people who used to say, um, I don't want to go. I don't go to church to be told what I want to hear. I, I get, I go to be told, you know, the truth and to be challenged. Right. Were the, some of the same people who, when I started saying things they didn't want to hear, were the people who left. Yeah. <clears throat> what I think is true yeah. is actually a, a big chunk of people go to church and want to be told what they've always been told. Sure. Yeah. I think a lot of people want their pastors to be educated, but sometimes they don't like what the education brings with them when they bring it back to the pulpit because like you said it's like they just want to be told what they already know and maybe be told it at a stronger level but they don't they want to hear anything different yeah yeah and you know if you preach anything then that challenges um christian exceptionalism or american exceptionalism mm. or you know you, you begin to say actually I, I don't think jesus would be on board 
with a lot of what the church has become because it's been so tied up with empire that it's impossible sometimes to tell where one stops and the other starts. Yeah. You know, that, that becomes for a lot of people untenable. Yeah. Take us into that a little bit more. Take us into that topic. When you talk about the church being tied into the empire, I'm reading John Dominic Crossan's new book and it's over there. I can't remember the name of it, but it's got, a big face of Caesar <laughs> yeah, yeah. about that very idea. Yeah. I, I'm convinced the, the more I actually engage the new Testament, the gospel stories about Jesus, um, I'm more and more convinced that we have really misunderstood the message of Jesus because we've essentially turned it into a spiritual message. Yeah. A message about the afterlife. Yeah. I don't think anybody prior to, um, and there's, there's no other word I've found. I mean, I could use the correct word, but I think most people would be like, what are you talking about? So I just, I've made up the word <laughs> Greekification. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> sort of the, the Hellenization, the Greekification of the church, yeah. which is, you know, as the church leaves the cradle of Palestine where it began, which was a, the, the what became Christianity was a Jewish movement. Yeah. And it leaves and it goes into the Gentile world where, uh, and and uh, John Shelby Spong, who's one of my favorite writers, he has a book called Literalism, a Gentile Heresy, mm-hmm. right? They begin hearing these stories and they read them through the lens of Greek philosophy and theology. Mm-hmm. And they lose some of their edge and their, their actual meaning. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think, and I think the worst thing that happened to, to what became Christianity was the conversion of Constantine. Mm-hmm. Because actually, we haven't talked about that rightly. It's not the conversion of Constantine. It's Constantine's conversion of the church. Yeah. And when you have a movement that began as a resistance movement, and I think you can find at every level, some of the stories we've been telling, you know, we've been reading and interpreting about Jesus. For example, I mean, like, here's what I think Jesus is actually doing. I'll just Mm -hmm. throw this out. I think Jesus was saying he's leading a resistance movement against the empire, Mm -hmm. but obviously uh, it's a nonviolent movement, Mm -hmm. but how is it a resistance movement? Well, uh, one of my favorite stories to look at is the story of, do we pay taxes to Caesar? Mm-hmm. Is this what we're, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, well, show me a coin. I find it interesting that every time Jesus is asked, he has no money. Yeah. He never, he never carries the coinage. Yeah. And so I think actually what the movement was in the beginning was here's how we beat Rome. We don't carry their coins. We don't participate in their exploitive economy. We, here's what we do. We gather together, we, bring what we have. If everybody shares, we'll have enough. Mm-hmm. And he, he's in initiating communities that resist the empire by not participating in the empire. Yeah. Right. So I, I think one of my favorite, um, mm-hmm. the end of the Bible, there's this beautiful new heavens and new earth, right? Yeah. Which I recently was like, why, why do we really need a new one? Well, I think what that text is trying to say is if we try to do this by the same rules as the empire, mm-hmm. We're going to have another empire, which is what, you know, uh, Christendom has been mm-hmm. another empire with full of abuses and, and all sorts of trauma and pain and suffering wrought in the world. Yeah. I think Jesus point was actually, let's, let's do this differently. We need something different. That's not a kind of empire, but it's much more human. Hmm. It actually cares and seeks. To, so I think that's what Jesus was actually trying to do. Let's create communities of sustainability where we care for one another and love one another. And we operate by completely different rules. Yeah. The way we're divided up in the world, the way we're Mm -hmm. divided up in empire, the, the, you know, patriarchy and no, no, we're going to separate from that. And we're going to ask the question, what would it look like for for Lord's prayer, right? Kingdom 
on earth as it is in heaven? What would that look like? And I think he starts these communities that are doing that or they form around him. Maybe is a better way to say it. Yeah. Hey, yeah. So again, I think when you bring those kinds of questions to the Bible, you receive a much different answer than if you were to bring the questions of, like you said, eternal destinations and things like that. I think when we ask the Bible, ask these stories about Jesus, those questions are almost like putting a weight on the text that it was never really meant to bear because we're really asking it something that it's not really about. It's like we're bringing our more modern mindset and our more modern questions to the text that those people didn't really have back then. And I was reading, I think it was N.T. Wright a while back, I was reading one of his books. He said something about like the questions that we entertain today about who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, like this thing, nobody was thinking about this kind of stuff back then. Like that wasn't even on anybody's radar, but yet we bring those questions to the text and we demand that it answers them. And the text is like, I don't know, like I don't have any answers, any answers for that. And being so separated from context, right? Like, yeah. you know, I, I think there's a good possibility when Jesus talks about hell, Gehenna, <clears throat> I think he's talking about what will happen if we take up arms against the empire. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. If, if we resist Rome playing by their rules, this whole thing's going to become a wasteland. Yeah. I think that's really good. I think we've, we take these ideas, like you said, and we read them through through a more modern lens and we come up with that. And I really like what you said about Constantine too, but I never thought of it quite like that, that, that Constantine converted the church. Yeah. That's got me, that's got my wheels spinning because I was talking to my wife about that the other night and we thought about, we were talking about how, how odd it is that, you know, this, this religion that Rome just beat on for, for years and crucified, you know, the crucified Jesus, all of a sudden this religion has no power is now given power by the very empire that killed its killed its leader. You know, it's, it's just like such a, and how, how could there not be a marriage of the church and empire if that's the case? Because now all of a sudden this, the, these people that had no power, now they've got power. And when you, when you never had power and you, you, now you have it and you're not really mature enough to use it, all different sorts of things can happen uh, as we've seen. Yeah. And it's, you know, like most of the ways I was taught to tell the Christian story or it makes Jesus death or Paul's death or any amount of, you know, negative attention from the empire, almost inexplicable because the empire could care less if you're telling people, well, it's okay to suffer here and just put up with everything because there are streets of gold and a mansion over the hilltop. Yeah. That seems to me like that's the message the empire would want you to give. And it actually seems to me that that message was not the, the driving Christian narrative before the empire took over. Yeah. I think it, I, it, why does, why does Constantine need to convert the church? Maybe it was actually working. Mm. Maybe the Jesus movement was actually putting a dent mm. in the empire. So he had no choice, but to do something because it was working and he had to kind of, he had to cut it off before it got even worse, so to speak in his eyes. I just, yeah. it seems, it seems to me, right? Like why mm. do you kill a nonviolent resistor? Yeah. Because they're actually, the way they're teaching people to resist you is dangerous. Because, mm-hmm. it, you know, the way, I, the way I phrase it is, maybe Jesus' message was, here's how we resist Rome. We starve the beast. Yeah. We stop giving them, you know, and, and so f- if you take that lens and you go read the parable of the talents, for example, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was always taught that that parable was about using your talent. And if you don't, if you're like the third servant who's wicked and lazy and you don't use your talent, God will take it from you. Right. 
you'll still get to heaven if you believe the right things, but you're, it's not going to be as big a crown. Right. Mm -hmm. I actually read that story very differently now. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this story in the book I'm writing because I think the, the lens we've been given is just off. What if Jesus is the third person? Mm. What if Jesus is the one who buries the talent because he refuses to participate in an unjust economy? Mm. Well, what if he's like, well, actually it's against our tradition to take in uh, interest. So why would I put that on loan with bankers? Yeah. I'm actually going to opt out. Yeah. And it becomes really clear in Luke's telling mm. because Jesus tells that story when they're headed to Jerusalem and they think the kingdom is going to come all at once. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me tell you the story about yeah. what we're, I'm about to do in, in Jerusalem. Mm. <clears throat> and you're going to see what's going to happen. Dude, you're blowing my mind right now. Wow. I never looked at it like that. So then, then the guy that gets mad, he's not God, but he's we're talking. Caesar. He's Caesar. He's Herod. Yeah. And, and there's even the line that character is like, <laughs> yeah. well, if you knew I was so terrible, you should have done this. Right. There's no like, I'm actually not terrible. I love you. And I have a wonderful plan for your life. No, it's like, yeah, yeah I'm terrible. Yeah. But yeah. That's not, that's not the God character. That's yeah. the Caesar. Huh. That's the, we've just been taught, like we've been taught to read these stories through the yeah. lens that supports empire and supports capitalism and supports American exceptionalism. Yeah. And when you actually read them through the lens, when you try to reconstruct a lens that might have some semblance of first century uh, focus. Yeah. These stories become, and actually, so I preach these stories sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, I preach the story of the widow's might, mm -hmm. which is, I actually don't think Jesus is saying, look at this woman. She's giving all she has. Isn't that great? I think he's saying, look at this system that would take all she has. Yeah. There are tons yeah. of wealthy people over there who can support this. Yeah. And yet they're still taking her final two pennies. Yes. Yeah. And right, right before that in the text. It actually, Jesus says, hey, be careful about, watch out for those who steal widows' houses. And then it goes to this story. Yeah. And so I preached that story and I'm like, you know, Grace Point, I'm a little uncomfortable with what this might be asking of us, but I think we need to name that, that how we focus and how we think about um, money, we, we have tended to read this story through a lens that says, give everything you have to God. And that's great. And maybe what Jesus is saying is stop praying on people who don't have two cents to rub together and said, start caring for them. Yeah. So, so good. I remember I wrote a, a blog post a while back, like just before I started the podcast and it was about that parable. And it was right when I was really starting to publicly rethink things. And that was a huge piece was tithing. And as a pastor, you know, the pressure to, you know, quote, get people to give, like it could be, you know, I mean, for me, my setting would be obviously different than where you're at at Grace Point, but where we, I can remember being in like meetings and just feeling the pressure of like, you got to get people to give and, you know, you got to get people to come to the church because they bring the money, they pay your salary, they keep the lights on, like all these different things. And so that, that pressure to tithe and even to use passages of the Bible in ways that, you know, that they're really not supposed to be used, but I can use this because, you know, people are going to, it's just, it's just mental battle that you go through because you're trying to, you know, please so many people. Like, remember, I rethought that particular passage. I was rethinking tithing and everything. And I remember I wrote a blog post and I said that, similar to what you just said, that I don't think Jesus was saying, wow, look at this woman, let's celebrate her. She gave all her last dime. You know, it's just, this is so fantastic. But it was God helped the people who made this woman feel that she needs to give her grocery money and go home to empty cupboards because the system that made her do this. I remember people like lost their... 
how could you possibly say that about this passage? But I think that was like one of the turning points for me was like, ah, oh, like we've really been taught to read these passages through that lens, like you said, of capitalism. And if we, if we take that lens away, everything changes. The whole, the whole thing changes. Yeah. You know, Glenn, when I did that sermon, it was during the pandemic. <clears throat> and I just said to people, look, if right now, if giving the grace point is harming you, stop. Yeah. Stop. That's so good. You know, don't, don't give us your grocery money. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we, again, like if you take away fear and shame as a motivator, then people will only give if what you're doing is meaningful and making a difference. Yeah. I had a friend. Which is the fear, right? That's the fear. Right. (laughs) Is what we're doing meaningful and making a difference? We're about to find out. Exactly. I had a friend once who at their church, they did a reverse offering where people are going on hard times in the church and they put money in the plate and they passed it around and they said, if you need it, take it. Uh, You know, everybody here has given to us and we're all very grateful, but uh, we, we realize there's people here who have medical bills, grocery, whatever, take it, take as much as you need. There's no limits. And I think that was just such a powerful moment they said for their church. Cause I was like, it was just completely different than anybody had ever done before. And it just, it just really sparked something in the church. So I think that's, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So let's just piggyback real quick to the topic of, uh, deconstruction because, uh, as you know, a lot, a lot of our listeners are deconstructing, asking a lot of questions. Uh, can you speak to those people who are kind of in this process? They're like up to their their chin and questions, and they're getting a lot of pushback from family, friends regarding deconstruction as they maybe parrot back to them things they've heard from like John Cooper, Alyssa <laughs> Childers and her book and stuff like that, and they're going to war against the deconstructing Christians. But what are some ways that people can respond? Like as a pastor and when people come to your church with these kind of questions, like what advice do you have for those people who are in a dynamic, a family dynamic, whatever, where their views are just not welcome and they just feel yeah. like very insignificant. Well, and you know, it can be very scary Yeah. when sort of the plausibility structure and the sacred canopy under which you've lived become questioned yep. <clears throat> and people can be really mean about that. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I would say, um, you're okay. You're okay. You did not choose this journey. Mm -hmm. This journey chose you. Yeah. Right. Because I think there's this, well, they chose to deconstruct. Why can't they just choose to stop? No, we, we actually didn't. (laughs) Who who would choose, who would choose to just mess everything up? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Lose relationships, maybe lose employment, lose all, like who's going to wake up one day and go, you know, life is too good. I think I'll just start picking apart my grenade, (laughs) throw it in there. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, you're on a journey that you didn't choose, Mm -hmm. but one that you had the courage to take. Right. Um, So, I mean, I I would say, first of all, um, I I think that your journey is Mm non-negotiable in these conversations, you know, um, ending up in a conversation where somebody is like, trying to demean dehumanize okay like if you want to talk to me about this i'm happy to have like an honest um good faith conversation but like who i am and my honest pursuit of truth and of meaning that's not up for debate that's right so if you think at the end of this discussion we're going to play just as i am and i'm going to come down front and take it all back that's not where this is going to go um 
and and I think to know that like uh, one of the things I hear people say sometimes is I'm fully deconstructed. Mm. And it reminds me of, I think it's a Maya Angelou quote where she says when somebody, she said where somebody tells, told her that they were a Christian, she would say, Oh, so soon still working (laughs) on it. Like, uh, you know, I I think we can end up in the same trap where um, of what we're leaving, which is we're leaving sort of a faith based on certainty. Mm -hmm. And so when we fully deconstruct, then we we sort of just become certain that we're fully deconstructed. And what I'm finding is that, you know, I've been on this journey 15, 20 years almost, and I'm continually finding threads that when I start pulling them, the whole ball of yarn just unravels. Yep. And so, you know, part of that is remaining open to the journey, but this thing doesn't stop. Yeah. yeah. It, it continues. And, and part of the reason I, you know, for, I know lots of people are like, ah, I don't know why we like the term, but, but one of the reasons I like the term progressive <clears throat> as a qualifier for the kind of Christian I am is because I, I want it to be clear that I, I, I'm a person mm-hmm. who is on a faith journey. And yet I make the assumption that I'll always be learning and growing. Yeah. That there's always more. Yeah. That yeah. I never get to the point where I'm like, well, I guess I'm done. Right. <laughs> um, that, that that remains remains open. So, and you know, I, I see all that stuff online, and you know, John Cooper with his smoke machine or whatever that was he had strapped to his back. <laughs> yeah. Just that sort of that that kind of like the, the idea that that kind of Christianity yeah. is going to pull people back in when actually, in, for so many of us, that kind of Christianity eventually became. The inst- one of the instigators for why so many people are leaving. And they should, like, that's also what I'd say. If you're leaving a toxic, abusive as- a system, yeah. good, you should be. Yeah, that's right. What I often say to people is, yeah, people are leaving the church in droves and they're right. Yeah. They're right to do so. Yeah. Um, and the number of people I meet at Grace Point who are like, we are, this is our last stop on the way out. Mm. This is our last stop on the way out. Mm. Um and, you know, I'll just say this too, and it may sound strange from a pastor, but there are people who have walked away from this whole thing <clears throat> and they were right to, yeah, because the amount of suffering and trauma and pain they were handed, um, the way for them to become a fully flourishing human being is to walk away. Yeah. I hope for the people who are walking away and have grief, I hope that my community and the way we approach things can help provide them a place if they have grief around it, I, I'm never going to be one of those people who's saying to people, Oh, don't leave the church at all. Just come to ours. Yeah. Um, if you have grief around not being able to find a place that honors your head and your heart, that, that is affirming, that seeks to always be asking and wrestling with these questions. Uh, if you have grief around not having that, we're here for you yeah. and we want you to find it here. But okay. I just know there are people who the most healthy thing for them is to go. Yeah. And, you know, and I can say that because my hermeneutic, the, the lens through which I interpret everything now is what leads to human flourishing. Because yeah. I think that's the point, mm. not what makes us all happy all the time. We're not going to be happy all the time. But what leads us to becoming flourishing human beings? Yeah, I also I talk about the how the podcast is talk about how it's like a lifeboat and how it's trailing behind the ship of fundamentalism or evangelicalism or whatever. And people are jumping off the cruise ship or they're being pushed off or they're being thrown off or they've slipped off, whatever. And they're in the water and the lifeboat is there to pick you up. And there's no expectations in the lifeboat. There's no expectations. You're going to you know, be a churchy person or you're going to be Bible based or you're going to even have any faith at all. It's just a place 
to dry off and, you know, get your bearings and ask your questions and grab a towel and dry off and just realize that you're not alone, you know, and we've had some people like have come listen to the podcast. We have like a Facebook group. We have a Marco Polo group and, you know, people have come not being part of the church anymore, but then I've gone back to church because they felt like they were heard. They felt like they got to process some things. They found a church yep. where their questions were welcome, like similar to Grace Point, and they got plugged back in. Other people are just like, I will never step foot in church again. This is my church, and that's just it. And that's fine too. It's just wherever people are at is where they're at. And I was thinking the other day, I was reading uh, Gospel of Mary. I don't know if you're familiar, uh, how mm. familiar you are with it, but I was reading. I think Karen King's uh, commentary about it. And she was saying in there about how Jesus has this one line and I'm not super familiar with it. So I'm probably going to mess it up, but he says something along the lines of you're going to have people that say like, look over there, look over here. Like there's God over there. There's God over here. And like, there's God in the church. There's God in the Bible, whatever. But the human, the human one, he says is within you. And that's where you have to really search. And I think that once you get to a point where you're comfortable realizing that, like the church is great. The church can be a wonderful place, but it also be a very painful place. But at the end of the day, God is located inside of you at the deepest core of who you are. You are made in God's image. And so once you can tap into that and be comfortable with finding and listening to that voice inside, uh, that's what it's all, all about. And that voice might take you back to church, like you said, it might take you away from church. But once you listen to it, you'll know. And then what everybody else is saying around you, all of a sudden that becomes dull and the voice inside becomes louder. That's been my experience anyway. Yeah. Wherever it takes you geographically. Yeah. Um, it, it, it takes you to human flourishing. That's right. That's <clears throat> and right. it takes you to yourself. That's it. Yeah. Right. And you know, this, I think the, one of the biggest myths we were sold is that we can be separated from wh whatever the divine is that's yep. somewhere else. You're separated from God. There's the chasm in between you, right? And the, and the cross comes down between the chasm, <laughs> yeah. the Roman road. <laughs> yeah. They, and, and which, what a terrible way to read the Bible. Yeah. Um, but we were, we were sent on a scavenger hunt for something that was within us. That's it. There the whole time. There the whole time. Yeah. Well, hey man, we're just about out of time, but this has been a, a uh, load of fun. I have more questions. I want to ask you about the church and all those different things, but maybe we'll have to have a round two of the, of the podcast. If we could talk about that. I would love that. And maybe next time I won't get a sudden tickle in my throat that makes it almost impossible for me to talk. I've had dogs <laughs> barking, kids screaming, whatever. <laughs> we just roll with it. I'll, I'll edit things okay. out. It's all good. <laughs> Real quick though, where can people go to find you uh, online to kind of interact with you and your work? Best places. Yeah. Yeah. So I have um, a, a, a Substack site, but it's, mm -hmm. um, josh scott dot online and i usually i was writing once a week but i'm currently working on a book called bible stories for grown-ups and so i haven't been uh, writing as much there but i hope to as we get closer to easter do some some more entries there and then on social media on instagram and twitter i'm josh underscore a underscore scott i'm pretty active on both of those so would awesome. love to connect cool i'll put all the links in the show notes and we'll do it again soon thank you so much i love this so much fun. thanks man i've been busy searching for you yeah Trying to figure out if it's true, true Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah This mind don't mind, don't play by the rules I'm gonna make sure that I play my cards right Intuition gave me signs that everything is alright Alright Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls, I'm moving in, it's getting tight, yeah.
getting tight. The shuffle getting real. I hope it lives on something good. I'm all in for the kill. Sometimes it's getting kind of scary. I'm here for the thrill. Decisions on top of decisions like I chose a pill. The bottle getting kind of iffy. Temptations made us presence in the air. It's kind of tempting. Shortcuts after question, but it got on my attention. Uh-oh, and I forgot but did I mention. Looks like I won the game, made my decision. I listen. I've been busy searching for you, yeah Trying to figure out if it's true, true Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah This mind don't buy no play by the rules, no Kept it on the low Gotta let it flow Gotta let it go, yeah On to something new, yeah Trying to play it cool Quit with all the tools, yeah Maybe you're my calling like I'm on flight at 28 Manifesting everything I take, it's not too late Running to my purpose like I'm rushing to the gate Of course it's in my planning and it's also with my faith At the end of the day, if we gon' find a way It's a fact of the price that we pay Everything shine to the gray Nothing gon' break through the shade Nothing gon' break through the hate Everything all that we claim Hit the red dot that I aim no missing, I'm focused, no slipping, I'm growing, no talking, just showing, no stopping, keep going, yeah, I'm just trying to break codes, ain't nobody I owe, this the life that I chose, and I'm blessed for it. I've been busy searching for you, yeah, trying to figure out if it's true, true, don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah, this mind don't mind, no play by the rules, no. Kept it on the low, gotta let it flow, gotta let it go, yeah. On to something new, trying to play it cool, quit with all the tools, 